According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media, it's your girl Rita Pierre, your host, and as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these streets. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to all of you who celebrate Christmas. Um, It's crazy, right? It's crazy that Christmas is here. I feel like all year we have been making these jokes that Christmas is around the corner, And here we are on Christmas. Now, I know that some of you probably did not expect me to be putting out an episode on Christmas, but you guys are used to me already. Unless I am like in bed sick. And even when I have been sick, I have released episodes. (laughs) I try to be as consistent as possible, but Christmas was not going to stop me. I wanted to definitely wish you all Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. It's been such an interesting holiday season because I feel like it has snuck up on us. We were not ready for holiday season. We were not ready for Christmas. And some may even argue that it doesn't even feel like Christmas. It's just, I don't know, it's weird. I don't know if it's just me, but it doesn't even really feel like I feel like the time has just sped by. And today is also the last Sunday of 2022, guys. This is the last According to RP episode for the year of 2022. And I can tell you that it's been an interesting year. It's been an amazing year. I think that our content keeps getting better and better. Our guests have always been amazing. So I'm not going to say our guests keep getting better and better, but we keep adding new guests to our portfolio. I think that's probably the best way to say it. So I think this year, there's been a lot of variety. There's been a lot of growth for this show. And so I just, you know, only pray that for 2023, we continue climbing, whatever the ladder is. I don't know where the ladder's taken us, but we continue to climb, we continue to expand, and we continue to stretch ourselves as far as we can go. So I just want to thank you all for tuning in to According to RP this year and for, you know, the new guests, the new um, fans, the new followers that we gained this year. Thank you for adding According to RP to your to your podcast list, to your routine. And we look forward to sharing more content with you next year. We look forward to brand new guests next year, brand new topics. You know, now that it seems like we're moving further and further away from La Covida Maria, maybe we'll be able to have some, you know, in-person live shows. I've always loved live shows, but, you know, Covida kind of mess things up a little bit, but I'm I'm praying that 2023, we move further and further away from La Covida Maria and we can have more in-person events, more in-person, according to RP, live shows. So definitely that is a goal for us in 2023. But New Year's is around the corner, guys. And so just... You know, one thing I will say is, you know, this whole new year, new me thing, I'm not really a big fan of it. 
I think new year, new goals, of course. And for whatever it is that you guys did not yet achieve in the year of 2022, it's fine. Life is a cycle. Life is continuous. If you didn't get the bag in 2022, you'll get the bag in 2023. If you didn't get the husband or the wife in 2022, hopefully, you know, you will because, you know, the streets, the streets are crazy. Hopefully you will get that in 2023. So, you know, I guess the point is that just don't be discouraged. The end of the year always brings about the end of year blues. Some of us, when we're doing self-evaluations, when we're doing you know, an assessment of how the year went by. We tend to beat ourselves up because we didn't, you know, crash or, or is it crash, squash, smash? There you go, smash our goals. <laughs> we didn't get to smash the goals that we set out. We didn't achieve everything. But sometimes that's what happens, right? And I can tell you, for me, I... I encourage in a sense, or I'm open to delays because in all the projects that I have worked on that had delays, you know, attached to them, the delays were periods where I was able to get more information. I was able to, you know, either become more confident. I was able to make a connection or obtain resources that if I had pushed on with my original dates of release or whatever it was, I would not have gained the depth that I did due to the delay. So I welcome delays and delays can be more blessings, right? Delays could be a precaution or prevention from something else. So just because you didn't get exactly what you wanted this year doesn't mean that it's out of your reach. It just means that maybe that was not the time. So think about that as we're entering into this year of 2023. So guys, this week we have an amazing guest by the name of Dr. Cassandra Espiron. She's Haitian, so I got to say her name like the Haitians do. She is a pharmacist that specializes in HIV AIDS. And so last week I told you guys we were going to talk about HIV and AIDS as December is really the awareness month for it. I think December 1st was World AIDS Day, but in keeping up with the theme, wanted to make sure that before this month ends that we had an episode dedicated to HIV AIDS because guys, I was blown away by the information that I received from this conversation and I know you guys will too. So definitely keep it locked for that. Again, everyone, happy new year because, well, I will be releasing an episode on new year's, but in the event that, you know, you never know what happens. Happy New Year's. Merry Christmas. Um, thank you all again for all your love and support. And I will talk to you guys in the new year. So now it's time for the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Cassandra Espiron. Dr. Espiron, please say hello. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today and to have this important conversation about this topic that seems to be forgotten. So I'm looking forward to the dialogue. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for being a part of today's show. And yes, this topic, uh, you know, it's not a topic that you hear about every day like there was a there was an era where all you heard was hiv aids but now it's kind of like is it a thing we don't even know anymore exactly it's called the forgotten pandemic right because it's all about covid right now but right. it's just as you know 
imminent that we take care of that because again, people haven't been tested. They've been quarantined for a few years. So Mm -hmm. things are still happening despite it all. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Espera, please share with us a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what it is that you do. So again, my name is Cassandra Esperon. I am a pharmacist and I was actually born in Haiti. I migrated to the U.S. at the age of one. So very much Americanized, but very culturally oriented. I remember like being five years old and watching about 50 to 80,000 Haitians march that Brooklyn Mm -hmm. Bridge at about 1990 to dispel that false narrative that we couldn't donate blood due to the fact that we're one part of the four H's. Mm -hmm. And if you guys remember what the four H's are, were the four cardinal groups where HIV stem from. And that includes homosexuals, hemophiliacs, heroin users, and Haitians. So mind you, this was not even like a science-based, you know, Mm -hmm. It wasn't even scientifically based. So a lot of our Haitian doctors, you know, in New York, they, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be able to sit on a panel with a few of them in like the last couple of years. And, and it's like, I think they did a great job in advocating for us because that affected our community then. And I think that stigma still affects us now to where we have a hard time talking about it. And with me, I never thought I would be in the the healthcare field because, you know, a lot of Haitian women, they end up being nurses and I thought I was going to become an attorney. Right. So I was more like an advocate, but even if I did become an attorney, I would always root for the underdog. Right. So I probably would not be like as compensated, but I realized what I really wanted was advocacy. So what I do now as a pharmacist, I actually prescribe HIV prevention through something called a collaborative practice agreement. What that means is I have like an agreement with a doctor in order to be able to prescribe under them. And, and my advocacy is also to help providers who prescribe like MDs, nurse practitioners to actually have that sexual health question. Let's not assume that our patients are married or that they're having like, you know, they have one partner. Let's talk about it. And I don't care if they're married or not. So it's definitely vital. I even told my chemistry teacher one day that I didn't need his class, but long and behold, I'm actually a pharmacist today. So what I learned from that is to like be open to learning everything. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. And I think that, you know, <laughs> I feel like you're like the second a guest I've had that was like, you know, I, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I ended up getting into like the healthcare field anyways. I feel like Haitians are always trying to push their children into the healthcare field, but I think they know something that, you know, we don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Dr. Espinal, I always like to kind of go back to the basics a little bit with respect to, you know, especially when we're talking about health and illnesses, diseases, things like that. And so, I, you know, I think even though people may think they have an idea of what HIV slash AIDS is, I think it's always good to get back to like what the core of that is. So if you could maybe just talk to us a little bit about what exactly is HIV slash AIDS. Some people think that they are one and the same. Um, So let's maybe uh, dissect that a little bit. Yes, it's definitely a very important conversation because a lot of people think that they're interchangeable, right? So, but they're not. What HIV is, it's a virus that once you contract that virus, as long as you take medications, you can control it and live a healthy life. There's something called your CD4 fighter cells. Once you start taking the medication, 
you will have enough fighter cells and they will not decrease. But stop taking the medication. What will happen is your CD4 cells will decrease. And once those CD4 cells decrease, your body is prone to have any infection. And that infection can cause you to get really ill. And even you can lose your life. Your viral load will increase as well, which is the amount of the virus in the blood. I see. I see. Okay. So let's talk about uh, how one can contract HIV AIDS, because I think that that's all, there's a lot of myths around that. And I think that that lack of understanding, lack of education is what has led to so many cases. Definitely. So it's sexually acquired. So that's number one sexual acquired way is anal sex and vaginal sex and also like blood transfusion, injection, drug use, um, mother to child transmission, and even through breastfeeding. Mm, okay. So I know that I had gotten a question in preparation for today. Someone was asking, can you get it via oral sex? You Technically can, but it's very rare, right? So like, for example, a lot of people want to know, can you get it through kissing? Mm -hmm. So similar to that with oral sex, let's compare the two, because what it is, is if there's an oral, if there are open sores and for both people in the same area, like whether if there's like a cut in the penis and also a cut in the mouth, then that can be very, very a, a slim chance that it could happen. But there is a slim possibility. Okay. And so I know sometimes others are wondering, is it airborne? Like if I stand next to somebody who sneezes and maybe I have a cut on my face, I don't know. Is it a possibility that I could then, you know, contract HIV AIDS? The virus does not live outside the body. It is not airborne or transmitted by any ways like that. So you don't have to worry about touching the surface or touching mm -hmm. somebody who has the virus. So definitely not. Okay. Okay. So what's the best way to test for HIV slash AIDS? Because I know that, you know, not everybody is going to the doctor to get annual checks. And even when you go to, to get to your doctor, you know, I haven't been asked like on my, you know, physical, hey, do you want to take a HIV test? Like that's not something that always comes up. So I guess what's the best way to get tested? How can somebody, you know, you know, advocate to, to, to get a test? So right now, during the COVID era, all the health departments and most counties across the country are offering free at-home test kits, mm. right? So you can get a free at-home test kit, but the only limitation with that is that it will not, you know, be able to detect a recent infection. So the infection would have to be at least like 30 days or older. So there's certain people that haven't gotten physical in like five, six years mm -hmm. that it would be able to detect, but just know that it's not a confirmatory test, right? So there's something called an antibody that it would detect. But in order for you to get a diagnosis, you would have to get a a fourth, something called a fourth generation test. And what it does is, is that it tests for an antigen, which is something that's in the HIV viral DNA called um, P24. So that would be able to detect a more recent infection. So, you know, it would probably be two tests in order to, for you to be have a confirmatory um, test that's with an HIV diagnosis. So there's three possibilities. Your test could be reactive which is not a confirmatory diagnosis. It could be negative 
or it can be indeterminate, which means that you would have to do further testing to confirm. Okay. Because I know that, you know, sometimes both men and women, you know, before they engage in activity with the opposite sex or with the same sex, you know, they'll pull out the test kit and say, hey, I need you to swab for HIV before we jump into the sack. So basically what I'm hearing is that that might not necessarily be the best way. Exactly. (laughs) That's not the best way. There's a lot of organizations like across the country that like the health department or like I work for one of um, the largest HIV organizations in the world, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, and you can actually get tested for free at no cost at our wellness centers. Um, I think that there's a lot of different organizations and I know where you are, I'm sure that there's a lot of organizations that you can actually go and get that fourth generation. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more like sensitive, meaning that it will be able to catch the more recent infections. And also there's something called sexually transmitted infections. There's syphilis, there's chlamydia, there's gonorrhea. Those have actually been on the rise lately. So with that being said, a lot of people may not know that having one of these sexually transmitted infections or not using a condom increases your risk to getting HIV because you have like more open sores. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's great to know. So you should probably go to a facility so that you can get a more sensitive test and at the same time get those STI tests. Right. I'm happy you brought up the STI part because I, I feel like, again, COVID has taken over everything and people are not talking about sexually transmitted diseases at all. It's as if they disappeared along with, I don't know, the first variant of COVID. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I honestly, there's people who say, is that still happening? Right. <laughs> Interesting. So can a pap smear detect HIV? Because that, that question comes up as well, too. Like, well, I just had a pap smear, so maybe they'll be able to figure it out through that. Not at all. But what it does detect is like, let's say you have like, again, not treating an STI can lead to other conditions such as cancers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like for example, HPV, but it can detect the cancer cells that may have been caused from a sexually transmitted infection, but not HIV specifically. Okay. Okay. So now let's say somebody contracted HIV uh, and HIV is what you would get before AIDS, correct? That is correct. So a patient who gets an HIV diagnosis detects it early, as long as their CD4 count does not drop below 200, has an HIV diagnosis. Now, let's say that like I've had patients who've been diagnosed with HIV and have not been on meds for 10 years and was fine. And on the 10th year, they get like a flu because they don't have enough fighter cells, go to the hospital. At this point, they have AIDS. Even if they get on medications and it gets controlled and everything goes up, it's still a diagnosis of AIDS once it drops to 200, less than 200. Mm, so there's no going back with that. You can't kind there's of There's no reset. going back. But there's going back in terms of living your length of life, but the diagnosis is kind of, yeah. I see, I see. And that's really important to 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 know because I don't think people understand how a cold and now with COVID, I think we've seen a lot of cases where COVID has pushed people to that AIDS diagnosis, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. So now 
So if I contract, if somebody contracts HIV, how long do they, you know, before they start experiencing symptoms? Like, are, are there cases where individuals who've contracted HIV have never, you know, just do not experience symptoms? Yeah, there's actually cases, but about 80% of people who get um, HIV, 80% experience like flu-like symptoms, right? So maybe the time that it lasts may decrease. It's like, onset is about two to six weeks and they last for about one to two weeks the symptoms so things such as fever sore throat um, body rash again these are similar to like so many conditions so the Mm. only way to know is to get tested right right so this is super important and um there are things that people can do so let's say a young woman goes out have a good time with a co-worker things happen and Maybe she heard that the person got diagnosed with the with um, HIV, so she's not sure. There's something she actually can do to prevent that within 72 hours, similar to the plan B. Like, wow. you know, go have a good time, condom breaks, you run to like the, the CVS and Walgreens and you get that plan B. There's actually a plan B for HIV called post-exposure prophylaxis. So you like you have a scare, you drink too much, you had like a one night stand, you're not sure what happened, you run to the hospital or a community-based organization, as long as it's within 72 hours, there's a regimen that happens to be an HIV treatment. It includes two medications. One is called Tivica, one is called Truvada. The alternative is Icentris and Truvada. You take that for 28 days, And that will prevent you from contracting the HIV virus. But time is of the essence. Within 72 hours and closest to the 72 hours, the more effective. I've never heard that before. And like as you're talking, I'm like, this is so mind-blowing to me. Because I think that most of the population has no idea that this pill or this this regimen exists. And I feel like if they did imagine how many more individuals would be spared this diagnosis. And Rita, so think about it. Like as a pharmacist, before I went into working in this field of HIV specifically, I was working at a regular retail pharmacy. So even as a professional, if I saw that prescription, I would assume that the person has a diagnosis already, right? So again, those medications are super expensive, like $3,000, like, you know, so I remember turning people away with that, right? And remember, time is of the essence. There are so many programs that cover these medications at no cost. These manufacturers, as long as you're within an income, they cover the medications at no cost, but the person helping has to kind of help the patient advocate for them, take the time to you know, apply for like copay assistance cards. So that's definitely mm-hmm. one advocacy that I have. I feel like pharmacists should be able to prescribe it in the pharmacy because we can also take care of the access issue. Okay. So that's where the time is of the essence really comes in as well too, because it's not like exactly. I can go in for, the, I don't know if plan B is $50 or a hundred or whatever it is nowadays and purchase the plan B. This You're talking about thousands of dollars for right. these meds, most people are, you know, are not going to say, give, here's $3,000. I have it. So, exactly. Oh, exactly. Man. So again, emergency cases, go to the hospital. If it's a weekend, usually they give you a couple of pills to start. 
And, and then you can figure out how to, you know, cover, get the rest covered. And sometimes people with insurance, you get like prior authorizations. So it could be really complicated, but time is of the essence. So a lot of like healthcare professionals are not aware of this either. So, right. yeah, so it definitely needs a lot of advocacy. Definitely, this. definitely. Like I, I'm still in shock that there actually is a drug that can prevent you from getting a, you know, a diagnosis of HIV AIDS or interesting. I'm like, I'm really like, it's, I've never heard this before. Um, and unfortunately, you know, like there, you know, I don't want to say everybody knows somebody, but you know, I know people and I'm like, wow, like this information could have been so helpful in their situation. So I'm hoping that, you know, with this information that we're, you know, we're sharing today that somebody, even if it's not for them, but they can also kind of share this within their own communities to hopefully, you know, um, keep these numbers as low as possible. Exactly. And also there's people who take this post-exposure like three, four, five times a year. Right. So with that being said, I also like to make sure that people who will continuously or potentially be at a risk at a later date go on something called pre-exposure prophylaxis, right? Mm. So there is an oral tablet called Truvada that came on the market in 2012. So um, anybody who doesn't have protective sex, anybody who is homosexual, bisexual, multiple partners, have a history of any STIs in the last six months, you can take pre-exposure prophylaxis, also known as PrEP, Okay. And you take one tablet once a day and it's 99% effective. When it comes to men, it takes about seven days to reach efficacy. When it comes to women, it takes about 21 days. Why the difference? Because it takes longer to reach the concentration in the tissue of the vagina. So with that being said, it's also less forgiving for us as women. So meaning that out of a seven-day week, you miss one, you're already down to 86% effective. Compared to the men and the transgender women, they can take it four times a week and it's still 96% effective. So there's another agent called Discovy. This one came out in 2019. It's only indicated for men and transgender women. And why is that? It's because it... Um, was only studied in those groups. The studies for women are still continuing. So that's just another option. There's like um, less side effects, um, less effect on the bones and the kidneys. But again, they're non-inferior to the other. A lot of people, there's a lot of like negative press around the Truvada. But again, they're just as effective. There's a cheaper version of the Truvada. There's a generic. It's like um, $30. So again, if you don't have insurance or any access, that's an option. And guess what? In 2021, we actually have an injection now. It's called Apertude. So again, there's a lot of women who are experiencing intimate partner violence. There's a lot of women mm-hmm. who, and a lot of cultures who people, they don't want people to know their business. Because if you Google Juvada or Discovery, it's going to say for HIV, but you're not using it for HIV, using it as prevention. So a lot of people don't understand that. So stigma is on the right. So mm-hmm. the way the Apertude works is there's a in the studies they did an oral lead-in dose before the injection and they would do that for about 28 days and the reason they did that is because before you inject a long acting injectable you want to make sure that the person doesn't have an allergic reaction to it mm-hmm. so in the studies they showed that you know there wasn't no allergic reaction so you can actually skip that it's actually optional the oral a bead and dose so you can go direct to inject which means that you just inject so it's going to be two gluteal 
injections, which means that you get injected in your butt, your butt cheeks, and you get one injection for two months consecutively. So that's kind of like initiation, then moving forward every other month. And they actually have something similar for treatment now too. And but the difference between the one for prevention called Apertude and Cabinuva is that there's two ingredients in the treatment. So again, the backbone is the same backbone as the prevention called Cabotecavir, um, brand name Apertude. But the one for HIV treatment is called Cabinuva. So it has two medications. One is called Cabotecavir and the other is called Replivery. So again, there's game changers. It's long acting. You have to make sure you consistently stay on it mm-hmm. because um, you all you have to do is, is take it every two months. And again, there's no issue about adherence. And what adherence means is taking your medications as prescribed. You don't have that issue of forgetting to take the pill. So a lot of game changing things going on in healthcare. Yeah, there's, I mean, especially in this space, there's so much. And I think because again, you know, it's the forgotten, you know, you know, disease in a sense, this is why we're not really, uh, you know, the community is not getting this information. And, you know, I've, I've seen commercials on prep, you know, that's kind of been something that I've seen here and there, but I think again, we don't understand fully what prep is. I know when, uh, when I first started uh, seeing the commercials, you know, my friends and I were like, Oh, that's the, that's the, the, the pill that people take, like, you know, to, I guess, prevent themselves from getting HIV. But they were always thinking about it more. So if I'm married to somebody or if I'm in a long term committed relationship, I'm taking it so that I could still engage with my partner. But it, that was really kind of all the information that, you know, we had on it. We didn't really understand this breakdown of women having to take it, you know, for, I guess, the efficacy being a lot later on than right. for men. You know, I, you, I guess we thought that you just pop it in and then I guess you're good. So it's good to know that it's not <laughs> it's not as simple, but that there are drugs out there that can actually keep us from getting HIV. And you have to actually take it every day for it to work. Like, yeah. you know, I see patients and they tell me, oh, I don't want to take PrEP because I had a friend that was on PrEP and they still got HIV. So I heard that it makes it easier to get HIV. So I was thinking about that. I was like, well, your friend was an adherent. And when your friend was exposed, they didn't have enough level of the medication in their system. So that's definitely a myth I want to clear up and clearly state that if you don't take it, it's not going to work. And let's say you forget to take it one day. Again, it's not as much of a big deal for a man or a transgender woman. You skip it and you continue on. But again, it's very important that you commit to taking it. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we're talking about HIV. We're talking about, you know, uh, how how one contracts it. Uh, we're talking about how it's the forgotten disease. How many people approximately, if you know, are currently living with HIV AIDS? Because I think sometimes knowing the numbers puts puts things in perspective that it's still a thing. So you know, sure. how many people? About 38 million people globally are wow. living with HIV AIDS. But from the beginning of this uh, disease state, it was about 84 million people have been infected since the epidemic started. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., it's about 1.2 million people okay. and um, about um, 700,000 people have died with um, HIV-related illnesses. But it's good to note that 
uh, between um, 2015 and 2019, it actually has decreased about 8%. And one thing I want everybody to understand is that, you know, let's focus on like a status neutral model. What does that mean? That means get tested. Never be afraid to get tested because no matter the results, whether it's positive or negative, there is a prevention method. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you get tested, you find out that you're positive. I understand you might have some, you know, mental health, you know, get some help, but guess what? It's not the end of the world. Treatments have come a long way in the eighties and nineties. People would have like 30 medications and still pass on. But now you can take a single tablet medication that some of these single tablet regimens have two medications in it. Some of them have three. It's like a vitamin. You take it and you get undetectable. And again, you equals you. Undetectable equals untransmittable. That's you doing your part to prevent the spread of HIV. That's prevention. You get tested. You know you're living your best life out there, <laughs> doing you, and you're like, whew, thank God, I'm good. All right, there's PrEP, there's pre-exposure prophylaxis, and that's pre prevention. Again, there's so much stigma out there. People with diagnosis needs community support. They, A lot of times they have mental health issues, and if we want them to stay on their medications, and to contribute to the ending the HIV, the United States have an initiative of ending HIV by 2030. Mm. And they plan on doing that by um, diagnosis, treatment, and going into the communities with um, increased spread. Because a lot of smaller communities across the country, they have an increase. Like we're in an opioid use. That's a whole other conversation, right? So when people are sharing needles, that also increases that. So if we can get in as public health and get in and start putting people in treatment right away that will stop community spread as well. Okay. I, I love all of this because again, it's just so much information that, you know, I feel like we all should already know, you know, with AIDS didn't just pop up like yesterday. Um, but I, I agree with you there that I think that there have to be this community approach to it. Um, it's not necessarily an individual, like it's not just kind of like, well, I'm going through it as the individual and that's really it. I think there has to be a community approach to it, but it's that stigma that really, I think, you know, drives that wedge in a sense. People are still very, you know, like when when you mention it, it's just like, oh, they kind of want to stay away from it. There's, And I think a lot of that is because there's like a still a lack of understanding, a lack of education. Um, but with within the black community, uh, are there do I mean, are you aware of any specific statistics or at least uh, an idea of whether or not this disease is truly running more rampant in our communities than other communities? Because there's that thought process as well. Definitely. So this this statistic is going to shock you. So we account for about 12 percent of the population, mm -hmm. yet 43 percent of all HIV cases. Okay, so the black community, who are the most affected? People who look like us, black women, mm -hmm. the youth, and bisexual and gay black men, one in two, mm -hmm. okay? Of gay men have a chance of one in two, 50-50. So that's definitely, again, we're experiencing a lot of disparities. 
we are and our poverty, our lack of education, our lack of access to healthcare. So guess what? Our, uh, our white MSM counterparts, 66% of them are on PrEP, okay? 66% of all PrEP users are white males, okay? So again, uh, there needs to be education. PrEP is for everyone. There's a lot of um, programs and grants out there that help increase like the education in the black and brown Hispanic community. Mm -hmm to engage them. I do notice that it is changing a little bit from the time I started this work around 2018. And I do see that there's a lot like, you know, it's, it's not as awkward, right? So again, the sexual health question, have you ever had a questions like, um, what kind of sex are you having? Who's, mm -hmm. Who are you having sex with? But your primary care doctor should be asking you these questions because the most recent PrEP guidelines that were updated in 2021 actually say that PrEP is the gateway to healthcare. So that pre-exposure prophylaxis is the gateway to healthcare. So this is an opportunity to help patients get linked to insurance, have a primary care provider. So this is something that we have to change because well, one of my colleagues, which is a, a doctor, she wrote this article and she said that, you know, let's not treat sexual health as a diagnosis. Let's actually treat it as um, wellness and let's have a sex positive conversation and and not be judgmental mm -hmm. so that is gonna take time so that's a lot of primary care doctors are not comfortable having this conversation like i'm part of the haitian community and i do a lot of like um, task force and work in south florida every time i run into my providers i'm like are you asking these questions some of them are like yeah and some of them kind of put their head down because they know they should but they're not right. sure how they're going to ask that haitian mommy who's married with like six kids but they really should be asking her because she is getting diagnosed because her husband is stepping out on her and bringing things home to her. So right. I, there's no limit. Talk to everybody. Right. And it's, it's interesting you bring up that example because in some of my uh, group chats, you know, women have said, you know, maybe I should just always be on prep regardless of if I'm in a married, in a marriage. And I know it sounds so like morbid and it sounds so off, but at the end of the day, I don't know, like that sounds like something people are starting to consider and men too, right? Because it's not just, for sure. um, you know, uh, men who are bringing these things home, women are bringing them home too. But some individuals are like, I think this is just a, a a med that I'm just going to end up taking in general, like if I'm having sex, because you just never know um, what, you know, what that can, I guess, what the future holds, I guess. Exactly. And especially if you're someone who's out there um, dating and living your best life, like just be mindful of the community that you live in. Like I live in South Florida. Broward County, Dade County, one of the mm -hmm. highest risk areas in the country. So just living in SoFlo, I'm at risk. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's the reality. Okay. I want to ask a question about procreation. So, you know, there have been talks that, you know, if somebody, you know, has HIV, even if they are on these meds that they either shouldn't procreate because there is always that chance that they can, um, you know, pass, pass HIV to the unborn child. There's also conversations with, okay, you know, I have HIV. My partner does not. Maybe my partner is on prep. Maybe I'm on some drugs, but 
you know, there's this, we're, we're having sex to have the baby, something might go wrong. So I guess what is, um, you know, as, as a pharmacist, you know, what is your understanding and what, what is really going on in that situation? What should people really be concerned about? So again, undetectable equals untransmittable. So let's say I have a partner and my partner is on HIV treatment. I can have unprotected sex with that partner as long as my partner stays healthy. Like that means that they don't forget to take their meds every day. That means there's not any drug interaction that can cause the amount of the virus to go up called the viral load, right? Because there's other reasons that can cause that. But mm-hmm. as long as they're making sure they go to the doctor, um, you know, as the doctor recommends and just making sure that that viral load is controlled there's no nothing to worry about. This is a there's a huge campaign about this because you know for so long people had been taught like you know that potentially a lot of people who with the diagnosis they don't have sex or they don't you can have a healthy sex life and have that diagnosis. You equals you. That's something I want to make sure everybody understands. But at the end of the day, you actually can have an additional layer of protection by adding on prep. So it's a personal decision. Um, no one's going to tell you um, the doctor could make it with you. So mm-hmm. prep is just an additional layer. Because remember when I talked about the status neutral model, you find out you're positive, you get on meds, you equals you, that's prevention, mm-hmm. right? And even when it comes to like the breastfeeding, right? If you equals you. So again, in a lot of countries, pregnant women breastfeed their children. Why? Because they don't really have other sources of nutrients due to poverty. So even though it's not recommended in the US, there's some people who still do it. Because again, as long as you're taking care of yourself, you equals you. So it's a matter of weighing the risk versus the benefits. And nearly it's a very negligible risk for transmission if they um, take their medications and take care of themselves. The issues arise once you're not taking care of yourself. I see. So what I'm hearing throughout all of this is that, you know, individuals who have HIV AIDS, they can live very full, very active lives. They can do them even as long as they stay on their medication and they do, you know, they keep themselves from from infections and things like that. As long as they stay healthy, stay on their meds, they can live a lifetime. Exactly. Okay. I think that's very hopeful because, you know, I can only imagine receiving a diagnosis such as, you know, HIV can be earth shattering, could be devastating. Like you said, mental health uh, concerns, issues, you know, come into play. And so to know that there are people actively having living their best lives on yes. this medication, you know, I think is a game changer for those who find themselves, you know, with the the diagnosis. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So now, you know, we talk about uh, awareness a lot in, in, in our communities with respect to breast cancer, you know, Alzheimer's, like we have all these awareness campaigns that go on every year. And I know that there's always the AIDS walk that takes place that, you know, I haven't heard so much about lately. Again, I don't know if it's because of COVID But then, you know, breast cancer, we always see the breast cancer walk. Even through COVID, I saw breast cancer walk. But I haven't really seen much about uh, the AIDS walk in the last few years. Um, 
And then there's World AIDS Day, which I feel, you know, you might see a post on Instagram and then that's kind of it. So when it comes to raising true awareness, because I think just from our time together, it's clear that there's so much information that the average Joe just doesn't have. How how can we effectively um, raise awareness in our, particularly in our communities of color, where unfortunately we are disproportionately affected by this disease? So I definitely believe that um, it starts off with talking to our leadership, right? Like our healthcare providers, right? Because I'll tell you a story. So I had a young lady, she came to the STI clinic and she was diagnosed with an STI. So her and her best friend, they did their research and they decided they were going to go on PrEP. So she goes to her primary care doctor. Her doctor is like, oh, you're a nice girl. You don't need to go on PrEP. PrEP is not for people like you. And you know what? She stood up to her doctor and she said, yes, I am going to go on PrEP because her friend who got the diagnosis of a sexually transmitted infection, they realized that they had to be proactive and take care of themselves. So again, I believe that we it starts at the top because these providers have influence over so many people. So if they do not get on board, it's going to be challenging. Mm-hmm. I have patients who come and see me that they're not comfortable talking to their primary care doctor about the PrEP and then they come to the clinic just for the PrEP. Again, it should be more, it should be the same provider that's taking care of everything because there could be like an interaction or like, because again, this medication, if you have other diagnoses like diabetes or Mm -hmm. hypertension that can decrease your renal function, it may be an issue. So we have to always make sure we monitor it. So I think that's where it starts is making sure the doctor's on board and less decrease the stigma by like normalizing it and it's just a prevention. It's like how you take a multivitamin. That's how I see it. Like mm-hmm. That's as normalized as it is for me at this point because you're doing your part to protect yourself so that you can enjoy your healthy sexual life. Okay. And with respect to, you know, because people are tired of like community forums. Some people don't even respect that anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like we don't want to come to another, you know, talk on AIDS. Like, what is this? But I'm wondering if there are more creative ways because, you know, unfortunately, uh, I do agree that the doctors, the providers need to be on board with all of this, right? Yes, we yes. also know, unfortunately, in our community, people don't like to go to the doctors. They've spent exactly. five years, six years, never going to the doctors. But, you know, they're attending church. They're attending all sorts of things. So I'm wondering... What other ways can this information be disseminated when when we know that the doctor's office might not be it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great that's a great point you're making. So uh, there's three different ways that I can think of right now. So the first one, so the organization I work for, um, it's, a, it's a global AIDS organization. We actually have mobile units. Like we pull up to like the clubs, we pull up everywhere. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's interesting. We go to like all the events in the community, and we actually do like HIV testing. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a grant in the county I live in and they the grant was to initiate people through like telehealth, like mobile. Mm-hmm. So I gave my organization an idea. Why don't we just have an MA on these mobile testing units? We can draw the labs we need to start prep. And they took my idea. So we got the grant. So what happens is our mobile testing units, they go out into the community, test people, and they do the patient's labs. So they do a fourth generation HIV, they do hepatitis B, hepatitis C, if it's discovery lipids, 
and they also do like a creatinine, which is the the um, the uh, kidney function, right? So, and then you have to just do this test every three months. Then I call them virtually, like a telehealth visit, and um, send them the prescription. And they're like, "That's it." Like I remember this one guy; he was like a football player guy. He's like, "Can you hurry up, please?" Because I don't want nobody to know I'm on the phone. I'm like, "Was that good?" He's like, "Yeah, I love you." So it's like again, these are ways to increase access to the black and brown community, right? Because you don't have to like go to an organization that has like, I work for the AIDS healthcare foundation, mm-hmm. right? People are going to have, think that's like, that's so stigmatized in a way. Like even if we call them, we just say we're calling from the pharmacy or, you know, we try not to like come in unmarked cars or delivery drivers. There's like so many barriers <laughs> that we have to go through. So another way I went to a conference and um, it was an HIV prevention conference last year. And this, this group of women, they were doing brunches like for women just to kind of chill out, whether it was like mm-hmm. paint and sip. And this would be an opportunity to have these conversations. Like, you know, you connect on like a social level. I love brunching. So if you told me, let's go to a brunch and get dressed up cute and go hang out and have mimosas, I would show up. And then like, whatever you have to tell me, I would listen. Right, right. And I think people will be more open to like sharing their stories and things like that. And in that session, we actually had a conversation. The way the conversation started is about how us as Black women, we are kind of taking on all the issues of the family and how it affects us. So that's how that conversation started, mm-hmm. even in that space. So can you imagine a conversation like that can also lead to other conversations such as HIV prevention? Right. No, I love it. Yeah. I'm always down for the creative ways to kind of slip in information because it's kind of like how, you know, your parents used to like crush medication in your food because you didn't exactly. want to just, <laughs> you didn't want to get them in a vulnerable space and then right. you're in. <laughs> pump them with the info. Right. No, I love it. I, you know, I'm, I think I learned so much. You know, when I initially, you know, I was putting the questions together, I'm like, oh, okay, but I'm like, like, you know, just mind boggled with all the information that I received today. And I can't wait for people to, to tune into this episode so that they can learn about, you know, what it is that we talked about and again, share it with their communities. So I really thank you for being, you know, in this field. Like, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you, you know, when you have your own, that's so knowledgeable, that's, you know, that's doing the work. It's it, it's like a breath of fresh air because, you know, I can connect with you because we, you know, we're both Black women. We are both Haitian uh, women. And it's like, okay, like there's one of us in, you know, doing the work that's really fighting for the community. So I really commend you for going into this specific this specific area thank you so much yes we need one of us at every table for sure right (laughs) (laughs) so dr espigon you know there may be people tuning in and they're like we want to learn more about you know the work that you're doing maybe they too are looking into pharmacy and they want to get into this specific area or maybe they just want more information you know so that they can you know either share for with you know with their family and friends or maybe they need it for themselves how can people reach out to you or or contact you um to have further discussions yes definitely i'm very open to having conversations i get people sliding into the dm all the time <laughs> about like scares about testing and things like that so my instagram is actually called the prep and hiv pharmacist so that's my handle. And you guys can also email me at the prep and HIV pharmacist as well. 
All right. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Espigon, for taking the time to educate us in such a, you know, such a lighthearted way, right? We were able to have this conversation very lightheartedly. I think when people think about HIV, you know, it's the dark clouds. It's so, you know, just dark and, and somber. But I feel like we were able to talk about, you know, a... I, I guess a, a, a disease that is unfortunate, you know, that was at one point wiping out, you know, uh, whole communities um, in a way that is not as, I guess, pressured because now it's not, you know, what was happening back then. Like now it's kind of almost the opposite. People are living, communities are thriving with uh, this diagnosis. So I'm yes, really Rita, especially for us as black women, right? So I'll tell you a short story. This lady came to me and she had reconnected with someone she knew from high school and like one of the dating apps. So they realized that they wanted to, you know, start start having a relationship, possibly move into sexual activity. So they went together, got tested. Well, guess what? He found out he was diagnosed, got on treatment, and she was just like, okay, so I'm going to get on prep. And so they're in a relationship, they're in love, and he, he, um, so he says that she saved his life. So, I mean, like, it doesn't have to be like a negative narrative. So I always like to say that story because again, this is life and things happen. And to be honest with you, it's easier to manage an HIV diagnosis than it is to manage diabetes or hypertension. So I just want to bring that perspective to the mm-hmm. table. I'm not saying that to not worry, to not prevent it, but just, you know, keep that perspective as, especially as when it comes to stigma. So I just wanted to end off saying that. No, thank you so much for that. Like, I am just like all, I'm not usually an emotional person. I feel like the older I get, the more (laughs) like my senses, whenever I'm having these powerful conversations, I'm like, this is just so beautiful because I feel like, you know, people really think that their lives, especially young women, young men, they think that their life is over. They'll never find love. They'll never be married. And I think that these are just, that was just an amazing story to just show like love is possible. Life is possible. It's not a, it's not a final death sentence. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I definitely would love to get you back on the show, maybe later on to see what else, because I think, I know you had mentioned earlier that, you know, by 2030, the, you know, in the United States, they're wanting to kind of eradicate that. So in my mind, does that mean that there, a cure is in the horizon? Well, there's a lot of like, you know, tests for that, but there's actually been one patient who's actually been cured. There's actually been five different patients, but I'm going to mm-hmm. give you an example of one. This one is actually called the Berlin patient. And this happened in 2008. So his name was Timothy Ray Brown and he was living with HIV and he received a stem cell transplant to treat mm-hmm. cancer and um, to treat um, acute myeloid leukemia. So the, so 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 basically from a donor, right? So due to that, he ended up getting uh, naturally immune to HIV. But again, there's been similar cases like that. But you know, there's a lot of studies with vaccines and things like that. So we're still hopeful. But in the meantime, we have prep and pep, right? <laughs> Pre-exposure and post-exposure. Okay. All right. All right. Well, very hopeful. I think this is a very hopeful show. Um, and I, I am looking forward to the eradication of HIV AIDS, not just in America, United States, but, you know, globally. Um, cause I know that it's, it's been unfortunately 
a serious issue, especially in you know certain parts of Africa and 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 you know really all over the world. So I'm looking forward to the day we can say there's no more HIV/AIDS. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much again for tuning into another episode of According to RP on WJMS Media, powered by Black Ivy Media. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I will talk to you guys next week. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all online. WJ.